0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. This episode falls into a bit of a gray area, so I wanted to explain a little bit about what's happening. A couple of days ago, just when we got the news that the actor strike was going to happen, myself and frequent guest Becky Allen recorded an episode on a movie called Newsies, which was one of our favorite movies about strikes and union action. And so we talked all about it very much in support of the strike action that is happening now. Uh, in Hollywood. And at the time we recorded it, there hadn't been any guidelines put out by the reunions that are on strike asking content creators such as myself not to make content about the, the TV and movies that were coming out of Disney and other companies like that. Since the time we recorded it, there has been such a, uh, a request made. And I know there's a lot of debate and discussion back and forth about it. I'm not going to tell anybody else what they should do. But for myself, I've never crossed a picket line. This isn't quite the same, but it feels very similar. And I'm going to respect what the unions are asking. And this is going to be the last content for a while that we put out that is about the live action on screen media put out by Disney or Netflix or Amazon or any of the companies that are currently being struck. I said live action. I'm waiting to get a response back from the union about animation because I think there's some discussion of how SAG actors are specifically allowed to keep doing voice acting for animation because that's something different. But of course, a lot of the animation that I would... uh put out podcasts about, especially over on Star Wars Universe podcast, is focused on shows like Star Wars Rebels, which are owned by Disney, one of the main companies being struck against. So I'm honestly not sure on that one. I'm leaning towards the idea that we're mostly going to talk about books and video games and maybe anime because that's outside of it all. Not sure on that one, but definitely I'm not going to be doing any more content about live action movies and TV shows that are put out by these big studios. This one, though, I did decide we're going to release because we recorded it before we knew the information. And frankly, it's about an incredibly pro-union, pro-labor action movie that I really think is worth talking about. And I kind of love the idea that it's right there on Disney and that a lot of the kids who have grown up and are now millennial and... Gen Z, and even myself, Gen X, folks who are joining in the strike and are dead set fighting against Disney, it's because we watched this Disney movie. So please take a listen to what myself and Becky Allen have to say about Newsies. Arise and seize the day. Hello and welcome to this edition of Superhero Ethics. Friends, the writer strike is continuing. The actor strike has just gotten started. And we here are going to arise and seize the day. We are not going to Santa Fe, but this is the story that we wanted to write or at least podcast about. And I have the king of New York with me, Becky Allen. We're talking about one of the greatest labor movies of all time, Newsies. All that more after a commercial break that I hope is by union-led companies, but I can't control it. Welcome back. This is Matthew, your host, they, them pronouns. As I said, I'm joined by one of my favorite guests, uh, Becky Allen. Becky is based in New York City, hence the King of New York uh, comment. You've often heard me Becky has been a frequent guest on this podcast. Becky's good friend, Jessica Plummer, has been a frequent guest on this podcast. And it turns out that the two of them met because they're both huge fan- fans of the movie Newsies. So when I heard that, Becky, I knew I wanted to get you on to talk about this classic labor organizing movie brought to us by Disney, which <laughs> the irony of that today is wonderful. Uh, how are you doing? Introduce I'm- yourself
1: i'm doing well um as you said my name is becky also they them pronouns um yeah i so it's literally my birthday and i cannot think of a more joyful thing than getting to discuss newsies on my birthday Um, because newsies is the movie of my heart like the it is the one movie i think i actually love more than star wars it's (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I'm one of the few, few people who saw it in the theater uh, as, a, as a kid. I think I, I saw it twice, actually, um, and was obsessed with it my whole childhood. And then my sister gave me a copy of the DVD when I was in college and then was obsessed with it in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just just never gone away. It is truly like... When you dig into the core of what kinds of stories I love and my values as a human, you you will just find newsies like buried in the bottom there.
0: Now it is it has gotten some as you said Big cult classic uh, popularity, and it was turned into a Broadway musical that's now been done in a lot of places all over the country and all over the world, really. But for those who haven't seen it, let me just give a quick plot summary. You definitely don't have to have seen it, and we're going to be talking about the movie specifically in terms of union organizing, but we'll touch on some other stuff as well. Um, but the movie is about, and it is based on a true story, um, 1899 Newspapers were primarily sold uh, in the mornings through newsstands and the like, but the afternoon and evening editions were sold by newsies, who were young boys, sometimes as young as seven, mostly probably like 10 to 16 or so, who would stand on street corners and hawk the newspapers. Um, In the movie, they're all almost entirely orphans. That's not actually accurate. A lot of them were doing this after school, but you know, the movie takes some creative licenses, but in the book they're all new they're all almost all orphans they live in kind of an orphan space specifically for newsboys and so in the movie because of the ongoing war between the hearst papers and the pulitzer papers pulitzer decides that one way to raise profits is by raising the price that uh, the newsies have to pay because basically they buy the papers and then have to sell them for their own profit uh this is really bad for the newsies and the newsies decide that they're not going to do it, and they just decide to go on strike, led by this guy named Jack Kelly. And uh Jack Kelly is uh played by a young Christian Bale, an absolutely <laughs> adorable pinches cheeks Christian Bale. Uh and who if you saw him first in Dark Knight is quite a <laughs> uh, uh experience. And he has befriended a guy named David. And David is from a little bit better background. He lives with a family, but his father's hurt, can't work at the factory, and he and his younger brother had gone out to meet uh to try and sell newspapers. Him and fr- him and uh Jack had gotten hooked up Uh, And David clearly has some background, knows about unions. His dad is in a union. And so the two of them become the team that kind of leads this movement. And there's some tension between the two of them because Jack wants to just be like, yeah, let's go out and go, you know, rah, rah, rah. We're on strike. Let's beat up any scabs. And David is much more strategic minded. Let's be calm and let's go through this thing. Uh they have lots of adventures, they they sing lots of songs, they fight with the scabs, they decide not to fight with the scabs. There's an ongoing plot about how Jack is on the run from this boys' home, uh kind of like an incarceration home for young for uh for kids that's run by a very corrupt guy who just wants to have as many people in there to raise as much money as he can. Uh he is the most mustache-twirling of mustache-twirling villains that Disney is gonna give you. Um there's more adventures. Uh, Jack falls in love with David's sister. Uh, and then eventually Jack winds up getting arrested and thrown in jail, uh, thrown in the boys' jail. But he meets with Pulitzer, and Pulitzer basically offers to buy him off. And for a little while it works. But then Jack sees David getting attacked by some of the scabs and decides he can't do it anymore. And they they wind up in order to uh, – have the last big fight with Pulitzer, they realize what they need to do is to get the word out to all the kids throughout New York City. Because throughout this time, there's been a journalist who's been trying to pay attention to these kids and write about them. But when they had a big rally, he was told by his editors he couldn't write the story he wanted to, because basically all of New York City depends on child labor. And everyone is worried that if people find out about this strike, then everyone will find out then all the kids will demand better working conditions or maybe even no child labor. Who knows? So – the newspaper man almost decides not to help. Jack almost decides not to help. But of course, everybody decides to come together at the end. They steal uh, access to a printing press owned by Pulitzer himself. They run off a one-pager saying, hey, all kids throughout the city should get together. And then there's a the big day. All the kids from throughout the, the the city who work all come together in a huge strike. Pulitzer is forced to uh, capitulate. And in... Uh, something that didn't actually happen in, in, in real life, of course, but is very much a trope of fiction from this time. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt rides in as governor of New York to clear Jack's record and arrest the person who was running the, the orphanages. Jack and David's sister kiss while David looks on smiling, which we'll have something to say about in a second. And everyone lives happily ever after with more dancing and song.
1: <laughs> well told. Uh... Thank you. Thank you uh i will say if you've never seen the movie i if you enjoy musicals i highly recommend it if you just want something that is really fun and kind of silly i highly recommend it um the singing and dancing is all very good the movie has like a very low rotten tomato score it has a reputation for being terrible but it's not actually it's just mm-hmm. very earnest and moderate budget but like it's alan mankin music you can't go wrong yeah
0: it's funny so here's my story with the movie uh, you had to tell yours and we'll go m- more on this <clears throat> when i saw the previews for it uh because as we were talking it turns out the movie was given very little advertising in part because the theory is that at some point disney realized they were making a very pro-union movie and maybe that's not the best <laughs> thing for disney 30 years later look how much has changed but the first minute of the preview made it seem like this was going to be a serious movie about union action. I was in high school. I was very into progressive causes and, and labor organizing and things like that. I was really fascinated by this. And then a minute into the movie, they start singing and dancing. And I was like, ow, <laughs> come on. So I did not watch the movie. Uh, my younger sister, who's basically about your age, got ups- utterly obsessed with it. And I went up listening to the soundtrack and being like, the soundtrack's amazing. Uh, and then actually watching the movie and, and, and liking quite a lot of it.
1: I mean, honestly, it sounds like so my older sister um, went to see the movie as well and was not particularly into it, but tolerated my obsession, which included we recorded it on VHS off Disney. And then I recorded not just the songs, but the whole audio track uh, onto cassette to listen to in the car. I don't know how she and my parents didn't like set that on fire i listened to it so much um but yeah i think i think she was in a similar place of like she she likes musicals she enjoyed it once but was like this is this is a little bit too silly for me whereas i was the perfect age to be like this is everything I want.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, the, the songs, especially to rally them together, are like – at various points in my career, I've been involved with either labor actions or going to strikes or going to protests. And I had a short playlist of some of the like rah-rah, you know, rally to action songs that I would listen to on the way because they got me so fired up and the lyrics are so – they're very on the nose. They're very – Earnest, but yeah, I just think they're fin- I To me, I think they should be on like the Pete Seeger, you know, playlist yeah. of like best Union yeah. songs and stuff.
1: Definitely, um, the songs are delightful. The choreography is really fantastic. Um, anyway, you should you should watch the movie if you haven't yet. Uh, it is, in fact, on Disney Plus. Yep. Um, and there's also the then, as you mentioned, there is the the Broadway musical was created like 20 years down the line. It's still about the the newsboy strike it definitely changes a lot of elements from the movie it changes most of the lyrics from the movie but it also has a cult following of people who really love it and the filmed version of the stage show is also on disney plus
0: yes um i am a purist so we are talking today same, about that but same yeah. i
1: <laughs> Mo- good, movie good. only for me but uh there are a lot of people who also enjoy the stage show
0: well, and in the idea of that in the movie, it's Hearst who owns – sorry, it's Pulitzer who owns the printing press that they use to get the word out. If a whole bunch of people come to a better understanding of the strike against Disney, among other things, because they watch this movie on <laughs> Disney+, Plus, it will make me very happy. That so,
1: would be amazing. Uh,
0: so, yeah. So, what is it about – let's talk about the union side of this. Um, how much had you known about kind of labor organizing or labor rights before you watched this movie? And how do you think it kind of influenced you on those topics?
1: Well, the movie came out, I believe in 1991. So I was eight. So I didn't know anything. uh, So I did not know anything about them. uh, But I definitely came out of it my whole life being very clear that unions are good and everyone should should have one. If you are eligible to join a union, you should join a union. They they are there to protect and help you. And then when I got old enough to actually understand what that meant, I still agreed with it and still do. I uh, I think that union. I mean, it's, it's very clear in American politics that the breakup of unions and the removal of union power and the lessening number of people in unions corresponds to a lot, like, the lack of, you know, rising wages with rising productivity. And it corresponds to people not having this good health care and, like basically, as a lot of labor related issues go downhill in the United States, that directly correlates to the loss of union power in the United States. And I think we are in a moment when that realization is happening. And so you do have not just the writers and the actors, but other unions also currently on strike, trying to strike, discussing whether or not they should strike. And we're also seeing a huge uptick in people joining unions and the creation of a lot of new unions, uh, very much against the will of a lot of corporations that are strongly anti-union. So you see a lot of like Starbucks unions and Amazon um, warehouse unions, and they are all huge fights uh, to get those unions created with so much union backlash and so much anti-union sentiment. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just very proud of everybody who makes those happen, and then am very proud of the unions that are standing up for, you know, their members' rights. It's so important and so good, and it's one of the few things that makes me really optimistic right now.
0: I, I definitely agree with you. I think that's important to understand. Understanding this movie, I think it's important to understand, like you said, how this moment in time is so different than when this movie came out, Um when I was fascinated by unions, because, uh, I, I like I said, I'm a few years older than you. I was a freshman in high school when this came out. And I was interested in unions because of history. Because by that time, you know, uh, and, and there's, there's lots of great documentation on this. Um, there's lots of great, like, academic work and studies of this. But but the very, very short version, yeah, as Becky was saying, like, in the 60s and 70s, uh, or, you know, because in the 60s and 70s, uh, there'd been long-term attempts to, you know, destroy the power of unions, block block them. Uh, a lot of the anti-communist fight of the 50s really hurt union power, the Red Scares and all that. And then during the 60s, the left and unions really kind of split in a lot of ways. And and there's a lot of arguments for why that happened and a lot of discussions on both sides. A lot of that has to do with Vietnam and civil rights and, and kind of more some of the lefty stuff and things like that. But – and that allowed, I think, a lot – the left was not as fired up to stop a lot of the huge union busting that then happened in the 70s and especially under Reagan. And so, I think part of why this movie gets made and, – and you're right, maybe Disney didn't love it, but I think it was not too much of a concern – is that this was about, oh, yeah, you, let's talk about that time way back in history when people needed unions, because by the 80s and 90s, I think for most people the sense of, we don't need unions anymore. We're not an industrialized workforce. We're an office workforce and all these kind of ideas. And I think that's – to me, it's been really interesting seeing this kind of new rise of, no, actually, we do still need unions in everything from the workplace to the entertainment industry um, and, and seeing how that's evolved. And I think – and it kind of leads to my second point is that this movie – it's about a la- it is about a labor action it's about a strike and the power of workers coming together they call themselves a union but it is not a union by any stretch of the imagination in terms of what that word formally means you know they don't there's no formal votes ever taken jack is never elected he's just charismatic and loud and dances really well, and so everybody listens to him. <laughs> um, they never join a larger union. They never do any of the kind of legal procedures you're supposed to go through, um, you know, nor go through, like, the official union votes or anything like that. Um, so, so I thought that was interesting as well. Like, like anyway, I, mean, I, don't they, think I saw they do it.
1: say, there, there is the lyric, you know, even though we ain't got hats or badges, we're a union just by saying so. Which I think yeah. is fair. There are a bunch of teenagers who, as they also put it, they're a bunch of angry kids with no money. They don't really know any union procedures, but they do know that if they stand together, that's what unions are supposed to do. And that's what they need to do to stand up for themselves.
0: Right. Although here again, and I wonder, again, what's the agenda with this? I did some more looking. In the actual thing that happened, they were part of an actual larger union. Like a larger adult union had like incorporated them into their thing. And so I think that's such a... It paints the story as like – I mean, the term wildcat strike is for like when workers go against the union leadership and um there have been lots of actions of people taking labor actions when they weren't officially in a union. But I do think it's interesting that as part of the kind of rabscrabble, you know, the kids against the world fight, they make them like the renegades when in actuality, no, they were, they were in a union and that's not in the movie.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean and, – and some of that – so – it's not a very historically accurate movie like aside from the (laughs) the musical aspect um Uh i i it's been it's been a while since i was reading up on it like 15 years probably so i i definitely have forgotten most of of my knowledge but there there were a lot of liberties taken in terms of as you said you know real kids were in an actual union but also in terms of like what the actual settlement they got was like Mm -hmm. how how that all came together there were allegations that the actual leader, Jack Kelly, is an invention for the movie. The actual leader was um, Kid Blink. Uh, there w- were a lot of speculations that he was, in fact, ultimately paid off uh, to yeah. end the strike. Um, so there, there's a lot of liberty taken. But yeah, I think for the the drama and the joy of a good story, a bunch of kids versus a very evil adult villain you can you can never go wrong. <laughs> I mean that's just
0: straight out of Disney. You know, that's that's all yeah. <laughs> that's all the Disney stories. Well, and one thing that is historically accurate and I think they do portray really well in a way that I totally missed when I was younger, but now I think is fascinating is this the tension of okay, so you have stopped working and now what do you do when others cross your picket line, the scabs? Mm-hmm. And there's a real you know, these are boys who grew up on the streets and are pretty tough, and I think they're very willing to get in, get in fights with those kids, those other people who want to break the strike. Uh, and uh, they call called so- soak is the, the word that's used all the time, which apparently is an actual historical word, uh, as is papes, as a nickname for papers, although they overuse that word so <laughs> much. Um, they, they do. But yeah, what – uh, but, like, that's one of the tensions, especially between Jack and David, is Jack wants to just, like, you know, yeah, let's mix it up. Let's let's break heads and show people that we can't be beat. And David has the more view of, like, that's not strategic. That's not what we do. How do you feel about how that part of the story was told?
1: Um, it's not a part that I have super strong feelings on. Like, it, it is part of the ongoing tension. And you can see, like, David's character arc is that he starts off – a little bit like he doesn't necessarily trust jack he kind of thinks jack's full of which he is uh but Uh he does know what he's doing when it comes to selling papers um and david is like like literally his costuming changes he's initially very buttoned up and then is throughout the movie as he fully throws himself in line with the newsies and starts becoming more of a leader himself he literally like uh, His shirt is unbuttoned and then his actual button down shirt is gone. And so, Mm -hmm. like, he looks more and more like one of the newsies and not this slight outsider who is supposed to be in school, who is supposed to be from a slightly better off family uh, throughout the story. And so I do think it makes sense that he is thinking more strategically. Um, But I also think one interesting note about it is that Denton, their reporter friend. When he goes to write this big piece about it that's then uh, canceled by the newspapers, they won't let him run it. One of the things that he says is like he saw violence exercised against mere kids because these kids are trying to stand up for themselves. And the newspaper magnates bring in muscle to beat them up. And there are a couple Mm -hmm. scenes that are like chaotic frenzy that are fun to watch. But it is also you are watching teenagers get the crap beaten out of them by armed adults. And then later, right. the cops are also brought in to do that. Um, and so I think the shock of seeing children get getting beaten up is something which clearly Denton thinks will bring a lot more sympathy to their cause. And so that's another piece of it. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of, of the strategy, David trying to explain, like, we just look like street rats if we are fighting with each other and fighting with these people we can't do that we have to be respectable like it's it's a difficult tension
0: yeah One of David's last shots is that he puts on the little fedora (laughs) cap, not fedora, but the little like newsy cap that all the other kids are wearing as the last thing in the movie, which is just so perfect for his evolution. And and yeah, I think both him and Denton, it's a really interesting thing. And this is a topic I go back to all the time because I think I've lived in activist movements most of my professional life. You have as well, I know. And And just reading the history of it. There's always this attempt to kind of, the historical story is often try to pit the kind of more radical versus the more strategic assimilation-y versus, you know, radical uh, against each other. And the reality is that most good movements have the two intention. And I think this shows that really well because I think David is, at least my view is that at the beginning of the movie, David is too timid and Jack's a little bit too out there and they have mm-hmm. to both kind of find each other because part of the, as you're saying, kind of like the the connection between David and Denton is that Denton's story about these kids being attacked by adults works a lot better if the kids aren't also going out and attacking other kids, you know, yeah. and that that's part of the, the story there. Um, but also, and I think this is part of what both David and Denton has to learn, is that Trying to be the most media-friendly version of the story when the media is in the pockets of other people and it's going to be twisted and controlled anyway, like that—that's part of the fight too.
1: Yeah, and I and I do think so. That's something where we can talk about that with the context of like remarks that were made by media companies in this past week. Um, yeah. So there were there was an article that came out. I forget what what the source was for it, but that basically says some some of the. I think it was Bob Iger might've been one of the other heads of the big media companies basically said, we're not worried about this. We're just going to give it however many months until the writers start losing their houses and start telling the union, you have to settle because I'm homeless. And they seem to think that this was going to play well for some reason when it had the exact opposite effect, because anybody who read that was like, oh, you're a monster who wants people to be homeless. That's bad. I'm not on your side. (laughs) My
0: understanding... Bob Iger was quoted as saying something almost as bad about how he thinks the writers and uh, authors are being unrealistic. My understanding is that that quote was anonymous. Oh, okay. Um, But yeah, it's still pretty horrible. And although also interesting because to me, I heard that and I heard everyone get upset about it. and, And like, yeah, it's very much worth getting upset about. But also... They're just saying the quiet part out loud. Oh, yeah. Every time a company decides to let it's not, you know, when a company has workers go on strike and the company doesn't meet their demands, part of what they're saying is we think they will starve before we will run out of resources from not, you know, that this will punish them more than it will punish us.
1: Yeah. And I just, I'd like to, I don't know what I was starting to say there. Um, (laughs) yeah, I I think that is very true. Um, And I, I think to tie it back to like that media aspect, like in Newsies, the media is just newspapers and they are fully controlled by a very small group of very wealthy people. And that's basically like there's a lot more media and a lot more different kinds of media and of like ways for other people to get their voices in. But we are still very much and increasingly so in an era of media conglomerations that are run by a very small group of very wealthy people. Um, And so it's honestly a little bit surprising that that quote got out because again, I think they must've thought it would play well for some reason and it did not. Um, But because these are people who have the ability to stop quotes like that from getting out and like control what the the narrative is. Um, There was an example yesterday or the day before where Variety had tweeted a quote from Matt Damon uh, but cut it off halfway through the quote so it sounded like Damon was anti-union and then they had to tweet essentially a retraction that put out the full quote because, mm-hmm. again, it was a control like variety needs needs their sources and their sources are the studios. And so it was yeah. very much a like, or at least it it looked like they were trying to be anti-union and using Matt Damon to do that and Matt Damon has many faults. He is a liberal guy from Massachusetts. (laughs) So I I think he was probably furious and that's probably why there was essentially a retraction that then explained the quote in context. But I think you do still see a lot of that jockeying to control the narrative and control the media. And it's really interesting when that's studios versus writers, because writers are really good at controlling narratives. So like studios have a lot of the media power but writers are very good at meeting that power with really pithy and fun responses.
0: And I think here's where the movie, there's a lesson in the movie that is so perfect for our time today, because what the, what they learn in the movie is that instead of trying to get these newspapers that are, you said, are all not actually accurately portraying the news, they all have an agenda, instead of trying to get their story into one of the established papers, just start their own, just create, you know, create their own. And what's happened, I think part of why the strikes that are happening today are so different, like, my first professional job was as a labor organizer in the 90s and early 2000s. And it was hell, because we didn't have a way to get our own message out. The way that today, yeah, the Starbucks workers, it doesn't matter if no one will take their story on a major news outlet, they'll go on TikTok, they'll go on Twitter, and they get to the point where the news has to cover them because it's such a huge story in these other places. And I think there's a really interesting thing there of, and again, I mean, the democratization of the internet is not at all what we thought it was going to be 20 (laughs) years ago. You know, the Twitter can still control algorithms, TikTok can control algorithms. I have TikToks about this strike where I'm getting like, normally, if you get about you wind up with a ratio of about 10 to 20% likes to views. So if you have like 100 views, you probably have about 500. If you have 100 likes, you probably have about 500 to 1000 views. I have videos that have 80 likes and 300 views. I mean, the numbers are just completely out of whack. Um, and so yeah, that's still a thing. But But I do think that we even, even on those things with the algorithms, there's an ability to get our own stories out, bypassing all those big media things. That's exactly what they do in the movie.
1: Yeah. Um, the other thing uh, that I thought was really interesting, sort of looking at the, the Pulitzer and Hearst side of, of the story, which obviously the movie is not about and has no sympathy for, but there literally is a meeting between them in a smoky room bringing in the mayor and the corrupt cops and like talking about like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you're up for re-election, And what can we do about it? Basically a bunch of rich people working together to use the authority of government and police to essentially beat up children in this case, but to, to act as strike breakers in a way that they're not really supposed to. And the idea that like Pulitzer and Hearst have this rivalry and they, they hate each other. But they are absolutely wor- willing to work together against labor because rich people will work together against labor.
0: <laughs> yeah, the the fact that it, I think it's very intentional that it shows how how much Hearst, how much Pulitzer hates Hearst. The reason why they're losing so much money is that they're in this battle against each other, and he's willing to lose money in order to keep trying to destroy Hearst. And it's just because they're losing money that they do this thing against the newsies. But then, as you said, the minute the newsies fight back, he's like, okay, well, you, it's still you and me against, against them, you know? Yeah. I think that's very powerfully done. I also think really interesting with the, with the way that story plays out is that they kind of show just how much power – the, the, these big wigs have, and as you said, the, the literal cigars-filled room where they're playing poker, because not only is it that they can unleash the power of adults to use violence against children, but that they can then, once they get the, the kids arrested and into the court system, the court system is obviously completely fixed. Mm-hmm. And we get a quote-unquote trial for Jack Kelly in which um, the, uh, the 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 uh, in which it's clear that the mayor has contacted the judge and told the judge to listen to the head of this refuge, uh, the, the basically prison for uh, young men, uh, who tells a story about Jack Kelly that probably has some truth to it, and a lot of things made up about it, and never gives Jack a chance to respond. They're just like, okay, yep, that's, that's the thing. The, you know, the, the court system will rule completely against Jack.
1: Yeah, and you can – like, in that scene, Jack is trying to respond, and he's playing to his audience of newsies who support him, but he doesn't have the institutional power to actually stop what's happening. Right. Now, one thing I
0: thought was interesting – I had I had thought that I was going to have a problem with the movie, because like, I've listened to the soundtrack a million times, but I've probably never seen the movie that many times. I think I – um. I like the music more than some parts of the movie, I'll admit. But in my head, I was thinking that one of the problems I would have with the movie is that the union doesn't actually win. Teddy Roosevelt rides in to save the day. And when I got to the end of the movie, I was actually quite happily surprised that they seemed to be very careful to show that Hearst uh, – I keep making up Hearst and Pulitzer. Pulitzer gives up the fight because of the strike – and the only thing Roosevelt does is to take care of the the mustache twirling guy running the the boy's incarceration home and to free Jack Kelly and all of that. Um, how, how do you feel about the way the movie ends in terms of like – it because it, I know in a lot of these kind of movies, it often is, they get some person in power and authority to ride in and save the day. But here they don't do that. It actually is because of the strike.
1: Well, not only do they not do that, I love – so the, it does. the movie is like – it's a Disney movie. It wraps everything up very tidily. They win the strike and then the name is cleared. And then the corrupt cop is arrested in the same like cop car that they just let all of the arrested newsboys out of. And he mm-hmm. gets sent off in shame. And then Teddy Roosevelt comes in and is waving at everyone. And then Jack and David shake hands and then Jack and Sarah kiss. And there's a, a big reprise and everybody's hat. So it is very much like, yes, this is the end of a Disney movie. But what I love is that. So leading leading up to the climax, <laughs> I have to back up a little. So leading up to the climax, Jack was arrested, and then he gets bribed by Pulitzer to go back to work as a newsboy and basically lead the the scabs uh, and yep. you know try and and break the union up that way. And it's very clear that they're trying to break the union solidarity. Uh, and they're using Jack as a tool to do it. And for various plot reasons, Jack has agreed to this. And then he immediately realizes he can't do that. And he, you know, he stops and he puts himself back in trouble. And that's when they decide they're going to put out their own paper. And their paper is not just to other newsboys who've mostly been involved at this point. It's to all of the other groups of child labor. So factory, like right. kids working in factories, shine boys, seamstresses, girls doing, you know, washing for other people. Uh, and a whole lot more groups. And they send their paper to all of these other groups of, you know, young exploited laborers and all of those other groups show up in solidarity. So it's no longer just the Newsies. It's now all of the exploited youth in the city have shown up at at this protest and at this rally to stand with the Newsies. And that's what lets the strike win. That's when Pulitzer finally is forced to reckon with the idea that there are more that there is more power in labor than there is in money at the end of the day. Right. And that's why the strike wins. And so to me, that's much more important than Teddy Roosevelt showing up at the, like Teddy Roosevelt showing up at the end is actually kind of the, the pay- payoff to a running gag where Jack keeps saying he escaped from the refuge on Teddy Roosevelt's carriage. Mm-hmm. And so he shows up at the end and like, and this time you can ride inside the carriage and it's, it's very yeah. fun. But it is much more important that all of this solidarity happens. And the more solidarity it is, the more clear it is that the labor groups have power and the more the wealthy elites are forced to back down. And so I think that that is a very satisfying payoff. And it's really important that ultimately it isn't just the newsboys standing up for themselves. It's all of the labor, like all of the child labor in the city standing up for one another.
0: Yeah, and especially because there is a scene at the very end where and it's a very kind of blink and you miss, blink and you miss it thing, but the the assistants to Pulitzer are talking about how all these other big power magnets in the city are calling Pulitzer to complain because their own child labor isn't showing up, um, you know and. <laughs> especially at a time when child labor laws are being rolled back throughout the country. The fact that we're celebrating the fact that children get to go back to work (laughs) in all these industries is a little problematic, but you know, I I will say that Teddy Roosevelt was kind of one of the leaders of the, the progressive pushes for child labor laws and stuff like that. So like there are some connections there, but it it did feel a little weird at the end of like, yay, all the kids get to go back to work. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but with better wages for some (laughs) you take it in the context you can you know yeah exactly um so yeah i i find the end of the movie very satisfying for that reason
0: yeah i think so too i think so too
1: um
0: this is more a representation question than about the union stuff specifically though it is very tied in does it feel like David is very Jewish-coded to you?
1: David, I was going to bring this up. David is so Jewish, and I love that, and I have always loved that. To me, mm-hmm. as a as a Jewish kid who didn't know any other Jewish kids, because we lived in a small, rural, very Christian town where there were no other Jewish families, I was immediately like, oh, David Jacobs is Jewish. He looks like one of yeah. my cousins. Uh, at one, His parents are named Esther and Mayer. Uh, and at one point, when they're having dinner, you can see like their glassware, and it's literally identical to the glassware we inherited from my great grandparents, who would have been oh, about that generation. That. I mean, I mean, that's like a personal thing, but it's like that—that—that mm-hmm. that, that is not inherently yeah. a Jewish thing, but it is. It did make me feel like, oh, this is the same as my Jewish family. Yeah. Uh, and it's also. Like David's father, who tells him, "I don't want you doing this. You're only doing this until you know my broken arm is healed, and I can go back to work, so you can go back to school." And that very strong push towards education as the yep. way you're going to make your way in the world also feels very Jewish to me. Uh, and it, like, like I said, it just it just meant the world to me as a kid, and I still like David Jacobs is one of the characters in in like media who I actually identify with like super strongly. Um, yeah. There, there are not a lot. I rarely find characters who I feel like, oh, that that's me. But like, David has always been one in a very yeah. silly way that makes me feel more brave sometimes. <laughs> like, very what well, would David Jacobs do? I
0: I absolutely love that, and yeah, to me, I think it's a very important thing because the history of. Jews in labor movements has been very complicated for some time. In part because, yeah, there were quite a lot of, there is a lot of connection between, um, especially in like, you know, cities in, in the, in that, that time, a lot of the people who were very involved in labor organizing and labor unions were Jewish. And there are a lot of reasons why, like, labor unions or socialist ideals and things like that connected a lot with Judaism. Um, and and so it becomes this kind of like the round and round and round thing where so there is some real truth to that that leads to an awful lot of the of the red scares both. Uh, around this time, and then the Reds here, like, after World War One, and then also again after World War II with McCarthy, um, there was an awful lot of anti-Semitism and, and uh, you know, a lot of, like, oh, communists is all Jewish, and, like, oh. the attacks on communists and the attacks on Jews became very linked in horrifically anti-Semitic ways, and then because of that, there was often a real hesitancy to ever portray people who were labor organizers as Jewish. And, and so it kind of leads to this erasure in a response to the anti-Semitism. And, and I, I, I thought the movie did a really good job of, it doesn't feel like baiting, it feels like coding, um, in a way that feels very accurate to the time without hiding from any of that history or without being worried about any of that history, just being like, yeah, this, this this is the kind of kid who someone like Jack Kelly, who very clearly has a very Irish name, um, you know, Kelly would have been the passionate one. And then, I mean, Kelly would have been the like, yeah, let's get out there and, and be fighting one. And that the strategic one, the one who knew more about the unions would be someone like David.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I, I do think if you are not very familiar with jewish families um or jewish names i think it would be totally possible to watch the movie and never think about it and not realize that david is jewish i think there are probably a lot of people who fall into that bucket because it's not you know the movie is not about that and the movie never says the jacobs family is jewish if you are somebody who is Jewish or has Jewish family or knows Jewish families. It's something you can tell through observation. It, it is, it is, as you say, coded, but it's in no way what the movie is about. But it also makes absolute sense that, like, yes, of course, the, he is a Jewish labor activist. <laughs> like, and most don't realize time that, and place.
0: Most people don't realize that Dirty Dancing is about a Jewish
1: family. Uh, so. which, which is. <laughs> I have a cousin who literally met her husband when he was the head camp counselor and she was the dance counselor at a Jewish camp in the Catskills. So like, to me, people not realizing that movie is very Jewish is wild. But I mean, it's the same thing where if you're just not familiar with it, you don't pick up on the coding and you don't realize. And then people who, again, are Jewish, know a lot of Jewish people are like, oh, yeah, obviously.
0: There was a there was a moment I, – I this is an aside, but it's but it's linked and we'll get back. I was watching the movie Dirty Dancing with a non-Jewish friend of mine who had been trying to con- convince that it was very Jewish coded and he didn't really get it until there's a scene at the the camp in the Catskills where the announcer is you know telling about baseball tryouts and things like that and says, you know, don't you want your son to be the next Sandy Koufax? Because Sandy Koufax – I mean it was the 50s. There were a lot of great baseball stars. Sandy Koufax was one of the greatest pitchers and was very well known to be Jewish. And my friend's like, oh, okay. Okay, now I get it. Now I get it. <laughs> the fact they named that name.
1: The same, yeah, the same, anyway, I, I was just going to say, the same The same cousin who was the head counselor in the story I just told was also um, drafted by the Yankees, but decided not to go into baseball. He decided to go to college instead. Well,
0: the Yankees are so I support that entirely.
1: Hey, now! Um,
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so... Yeah, I, but yeah, I, I'm glad you felt the same way about David because I can, I, I love that story you told his, because he is the one who I think has, he has the bigger picture. You know, I think Jack has, I think very understandably, but a sense of like, he's been wrong, so he wants to fight back. David really has this idea of, because as I said, he doesn't have to be a newsie probably much longer. He's going to get to go back to his family who are doing not great, but decently. Um, I think he just has this much sort of larger picture of things that I think, yeah, is a really great inspiration for, for activists of all kinds.
1: Well, and I also, I mean, I think they, they play off each other very well with Jack as this very passionate guy. He stands up for kids who are, are bullied. Uh, he, he knows he can get away with a lot of shenanigans. He doesn't have plans. He just says things and then people agree with him and then they kind of make it happen. And so I mm-hmm. think then bringing in David, who's the one who's like, okay, but logistics – Jack, you have to take our demands to Pulitzer. Yeah. If you're going to be the leader, you've got to do that. Uh like having somebody who does have that more strategic thought, not to necessarily balance out, but to help push along the very enthusiastic impulse to do what needs to be done without the ne- like the knowledge for it, then like providing that knowledge. It it works really well.
0: There's this wonderful song uh, fairly early in the movie during one of the first labor actions where if you listen to it, it just sounds like there's this glorious inspirational line and then kind of a instrumental line and then a, a glorious ins- uh, inspirational line, etc. And in the movie, it's because David will say something and then Jack will sing it. And then Jack David will again quietly say something to Jack, and Jack will sing it. And it's just this beautiful, like it's the writer and the actor. It's you know, it's the 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 person behind the scenes and and the voice who's who's up on the stage. And I just like as someone who was often the my first union, my first uh, community organizing job, I was told on my day one that if they ever saw my name in the paper, I would get fired. Because my, my, my role wasn't to be a voice. It was to help amplify the voices of the people in the community I was organizing. And that to me is exactly what David is doing. I mean, and David's part of the community, but David's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the charismatic one. My job is to tell the Jack what, tell Jack what to say.
1: Well, and his, his character arc is though very much about him becoming a leader and no longer feeling like an outsider to what Jack is doing. Um, Very true. When Jack does become a scab, he and David have a confrontation where David says straight up, everything you said, those were my words. And Jack says, you never had the courage to say them yourself. And David says, I do now, and then takes a swing at him. And it is a really great moment of like, mm-hmm. oh, David David has has grown into himself through this labor organizing. He's found his community. He's found his place and his purpose. And he's no longer afraid of doing this work. He is now fully enmeshed in it and passionate about it and part of this community. And I think that that's very nice. And then he and Jack make up and that's also very nice.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I have another question about the movie itself, but I want to first ask there anything else about kind of the labor parts of it that you wanted to comment on.
1: Um, let me take a look here. Um, I do think so. One of the things that they, that again, the the evil rich people mention is that they are explicitly afraid that if they, uh, cave into the newsies demands that other groups of workers are going to start making demands. And I think that that's right. worth calling out because I mean, that is still an ongoing thing where like the, <laughs> the studios know that if they give in, like that, there is solidarity is what will hurt them. And if the writers and the actors are standing together, the studios are a lot less likely to be able to pressure and get their way uh, and I think that there's also the increasing like there are more unions now, there are more strikes happening and it's not just these Hollywood strikes. And yeah. I think that also comes with a, a feeling that if people are looking around and seeing the work that other unions are doing, they realize that they can unionize and they can get those rights too. they can earn earn is the wrong word, but like they can they can get their own protections that they need as well. And I think that there is a real fear among billionaires that people are going to realize that there are a lot more of us than there are of them and money and power can do a lot, but ultimately they are overwhelmed by sheer numbers. And if people realize they have the sheer numbers, then, then those billionaires are in trouble. And that's why there is so much pushback against unions, even when the union demands are completely reasonable. Because if you give in, people will realize they have power. And so I think that's, that's also something yeah. the movie demonstrates.
0: You know, we talked about how the Starbucks unions have gotten a lot of attention. I, I, I have no statistics on this, but my impression at least is that the company that has, that, where its workers have been trying to unionize that has gotten the most attention after Starbucks is Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been a number of attempts. To, there have been a couple of successful attempts to unionize. Amazon has done some really awful things to crush them, and Amazon is one of the major streaming platforms. And by accounts, Amazon and Disney are the two that are kind of holding out the most. Um, possibly Netflix, there are varying accounts and the like. But yeah, it would make sense because I think from. You know, someone like Netflix uh, or HBO, not so much, but with Disney and Amazon, they have huge numbers of, uh, you know, non-entertainment workers who are in unions, whether it's Teamsters or factory workers or the people who work at parks or things like that, uh, who are either in or could be in unions. And I think, yeah, they both want to appear as strong in unions as possible. And I also think one thing I'm seeing that's interesting, and and this goes back to like, when they when they make Jack back into being a scab, they dress him up really nice and make him look like he's doing really well. I've definitely seen some stories that are coming out that are about – and again, these are – that are like, oh, people are upset that Fran Drescher is the voice of the union when she makes so much money or, you know, things like that. There's an attempt to sort of pit the mm-hmm. – oh, well, look at these Hollywood stars. They're making, you know, Matt Damon, how dare he talk about this? hes He makes so much more money than all these other people. And I think it's very much this attempt to kind of like pit leaders against others. And yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, I might say maybe, you know, if these actors didn't demand such high salaries, other people in their things could be paid more. But I don't think that's the job. The actors are also workers. I think it's the job of the producers to, to come up with the money and to – and I think the producers have been very happy to say, we're going to get into these bidding wars for stars because then we can find the money by cutting everything else and I think it's awesome that like as far as I know nothing in the actor's strike contract will ever affect someone who's a top-billed actor in a major movie. Like, if you're making more than a million dollars a movie, none of this matters to you. Um, but yeah, but they know that it's the people who are making, like, $20,000 a year, $30,000 a year, and they're fighting for them, and the media is trying hard to, to change that story.
1: Yeah, the, the media wants those leaders to look bad when what it actually is is people who don't have to be affected by this saying, yeah, but it's more important to me to stand up with the people who are affected by it. And they're the ones yeah. who can afford to do that. And so they are doing that. And like yeah. that's that's important.
0: Yeah. And people who care about sports, you've seen the exact same tactic when um, some of the big labor uh, actions that have happened in baseball and, and football and basketball and, and probably even hockey, but I don't follow that as much. You know, people would be like, oh my God, these players are on strike and they, they make millions and they want to make more. Most of the time, no. Like uh, the last big NFL strike, it was really about like the players who just play for a year or two and then get hurt and then never play again. And they make maybe a total of a couple hundred thousand, which is, yeah, is a lot of money compared to what most of us will ever make. But still, like they were fighting for the health the, the care needs, you know, of people mm-hmm. who were much lower. Or the, the last baseball player strike was about minor leaguers who are not making anything like that kind of money. So, yeah. So we'll probably come back to the labor stuff a bit, although we've gone a while, so I don't want to go too much longer. But the, the one last thing I'll, I, I wanted to ask you about the movie, one thing you and I have talked about on prior podcasts is that you, I think, kind of share my frustration that like romance can be a fun part of a movie and like people smooching when they're happy is great, but that sometimes it feels like a romance is kind of shoehorned in and that that's not great um, and that there's some misogyny there and stuff like that. So I'm wondering how you feel about Jack and Sarah
1: okay so um without getting too much into fandom weeds here i think jack and david are in love just just putting that out there just if you watch the movie it's it's very much about the relationship between the two of them you certainly don't have to read it as romantic i will say the director kenny ortega is an out gay man. And he has talked about the ways in which he put himself into all of his projects between the lines. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's necessarily intentionally homoerotic, but I also don't think it's entirely unintentional. Um, So there, so there is that I, as a young person who did not know about internalized misogyny, uh, I really hated Sarah because I I love Jack and that's what you're trained to do as a, you know, Mm -hmm. young AFAB person. Uh, as an adult, I, she's fine, <laughs> but the yeah. emotional, like, the emotional climax of the movie, or, like, the emotional payoff of the movie is when Jack and David shake hands at the end, uh, yeah. which is immediately followed by the kiss, which is fine. Like, it, it doesn't entirely come out of nowhere, but it basically does. Sarah's only in a few scenes. She and Jack are kind of cute together. Mm-hmm. Making out like that in public feels very anachronistic. <laughs> um, Jewish
0: family like, letting his sister kiss a
1: goy, not
0: yeah, the you thing, know, thinking.
1: you know, whatever. <laughs> so like, it's it does feel kind of shoehorned in. Um, the actress yeah. was actually treated really terribly by the like what few reviews the movie got. Um, she she was called there were there were some very cruel things said to and about her, and then it's a cult classic, but a lot of the the people in that cult have also been really awful to her through the years yeah um so i i am certainly not going to to echo any of that i think she's fine i think it's i think it probably felt like oh this is an obligatory thing we have to put in this movie and so they did it is one of the weaker aspects of the movie but it it just sort of is what it is she and jack do not have the emotional arc and payoff that jack and david do
0: yeah I think that makes a lot of sense. And at the time the movie was made, like if it's made today, I think the accusation of they want to put it in to subvert people thinking Jack and David have feelings for each other is valid. Like in the 90s, I don't think people thought that way as much, uh, at least in producers. Some of them probably did. But I do think that also that there was a very related kind of a misogynistic idea of like, we're not going to get young girls in to see this and to see Jack as a romantic hero unless there's a girl on screen who will swoon over him the way all of them are going to. And like this is hardly – the only movie that's done that. It's done all the time. And as you said, I think it's really interesting the the way that that, that – your response to it I think is very interesting and kind of how it all plays out and how little is understood. Um,
1: Listen, yeah, you don't – you don't need an avatar character like that to swoon over Christian Bale if you are nine and he is sixteen. Like, trust right? me, completely swoonworthy in and of himself.
0: <laughs> and and I think it's also like, uh, not that this is a measure of anything, but particularly given that the movie came out long before this was created, it has almost ten thousand fics on AO3. <laughs> Which is by no means like an accurate measure of anything, but it, but it says something about like, and I've, and certainly I've heard a lot of people who I know who write fan fiction, uh, many of whom were women, um, say that like they weren't even writing stories about necessarily the time, but Jack David was the first time they saw two men on screen and were like, why don't they kiss? Why don't I think about them kissing, you know? <laughs> and like, <laughs> yep. Uh, and, and to me, I think what the, like, the kiss is fine. I, I will say that. At first, when I saw it happening, I thought what they were setting up was the very toxic – because I I knew there had to be some tension between Jack and David at the end of the movie. I thought what they would set up is a, like, oh, you're good, but you're not quite good enough to date my sister kind of a thing. You know, like that kind of toxic, Mm -hmm. like, I have to be protected with my sister. I was glad there was none of that. Um, But to me, it's the the part of what convinces Jack to to change is when he's talking to Sarah – and, and Sarah kind of indicates that she would like, be a little sad if he left. And he's like, yeah, well, I, you know, I've never really had someone care if I stay or go. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Jack, there's 50 boys who wake up and sing a whole song about how they're so excited to go follow you out into the city every day.
1: Like- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah. And I, Jack has complicated feelings about it all. And I think that that's fair. But yeah, I... I will say so. So one other thing about the movie, which I do think is a little bit out of place when Jack is a scab, the the goons who've been sent to break up the strike are going after David. But they specifically go after Sarah and they kind of threaten to rape her. Like, yeah, it's like a, a very brief throwaway line that that it implies that that's about to happen. And then Jack overhears it and throws down his papers and goes and he punches them and he saves the day. And that's when he realizes he has to be, you know, a newsie forever. And he's going to stand with his, his friends and and his labor organization. But yeah, that's to me the most out of place thing. Like, yeah, just, just with the tone of the movie, it is a movie musical. It is a Disney movie where everybody sings and dances and Teddy Roosevelt shows up at the end so that very brief moment it just feels weird.
0: Yeah. And like, it's a Disney movie. I expect mustache twirlers and, you know, the two boys, who the O'Connells or the O'Connors or something like that. The Delancey's. Um, the Delancey's. <laughs> like, I knew something very Irish, <laughs> which, again, if, if Irish, uh, Irish-American listeners have some thoughts about how that's coded in this movie, I think that's totally fair, too. Uh, I, I was thinking earlier, there have also been a number of Irish labor organizers and labor leaders who've been fantastic. I don't want to imply that well, – and-
1: one of the other secondary characters is Spot Comlan, who is also, I think, very Irish coded, and he is very much one of the good guys, who is portrayed as more violent than Jack, but willing right. to listen to David and sort of get so and be more strategic by the end. And so he is also, I think, I guess, sort of a counterpoint to that. I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I, I like how all the different characters are portrayed, and um, yeah, all, all, all I was going with that was, um, you yeah, know, what was the point I was making originally? Uh, that it got into the Irish side. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, point was, I, I definitely think that the, I don't have any understanding of the motivation of the Delancey brothers. Uh, they just want to be bad, to be bad, and to beat up people, to beat up people. And, and, yeah, that whole scene with Sarah felt very uncomfortable and very, like, and I think, like, in the 90s, this was when Disney was not really, they were kind of trying to figure out, like, are they making kids stuff? Are they making YA stuff? Um... And so, yeah, it, it it gave me the impression that, like, you can say that there's something not great about when the studio heads have just, like, iron control over everything that comes out of the studio. And I think there's definitely some truth to that. But I think there is definitely very much a, like, Disney template of movies that in the 90s when they're making stuff like this and holes and some other stuff is a little, like, eh, no one's really paying attention. Yeah. All right. Uh, any other last things you want to say about this movie before we wrap up and go to Patreon section?
1: Um, I will say that there have been people on the picket line singing songs from Newsies. Uh, and there was a lovely day when that was happening. Some people in costume and David Moscow, who played David Jacobs, uh, showed up to stand with them. Uh, and that was very nice.
0: That makes me so happy. I, I was watching last night. Uh, Christian Bale is not on Twitter, which I guess makes some sense, given what I know about him. He's a very private <laughs> individual and a idiosyncratic i think maybe is a fair term uh but i was looking for i wanted to tweet at him and some of the others and be like please just, just if you remember any of the dances or anything like that like seeing any of this on the picket lines would be great but knowing that the actor who played david showed up for that is just absolutely fantastic because yeah it's such a it it's hollywood at, at labor and like this, this will be what we talk about in the patreon section but it, But even just like last night, I was looking for like labor songs to to listen, put together a playlist for, and there's very little. There hasn't Mm -hmm. been a lot of great labor organizing stuff out there, and that's uh, something we can talk about in the Patreon. So, thank you for telling us that, though. I definitely wanted to know more about that. Um, uh, For now, though, for those who aren't Patreons and want to know more, Becky, where can people find
1: more of your work? Um, People can find me on Twitter as at allreb a l l r e b uh, until Twitter sinks into the sea which is any day now um you can also find me as at all on instagram or you can uh, find my website beckyallenbooks.com i am an author i have two young adult novels bound by blood and sand and freed by flame and storm uh they're fantasy novels there are no unions in them but there are a lot of angry people standing up for their rights
0: yay that's awesome I love it. Uh, yeah, definitely check those out. Uh, check out all the awesome stuff Becky does. Uh, of course, I am The Ethical Panda. If you search for theethicalpanda.com, you'll find all the ways to get in touch with me. Uh, please let me know what you think about this stuff. You know, I want to know your feedback. Did you love Newsies? Do you hate Newsies? Uh, do you like the musical better? In which case, I'm going to unsubscribe you. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's totally fine. It's legitimate. If you... I'm gonna say if you're a Yankees fan, I'll unsubscribe you. But even that, I want <laughs> then
1: you. I will have you stop, stop coming know, like, on the podcast.
0: That's <laughs> that. Ah, that, oh, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. All we accept all people. Um, <laughs> you know. So well. No, if you're a Trump voter go away. You've no business being here. But everybody else, you're totally welcome. Uh, but let us know what you think in uh, feedback, email, Twitter, TikTok. Let us know. Help other people find the show. That's always great. Uh, so I have myself, everybody else involved. Thank you so much. We have spoken. Welcome back to our patrons. Um, so Becky, what I wanted to talk about for a few minutes is, as I said, there, like there's very little music that's written about labor unions since like Arlo, and Pete Se- Arlo Guthrie and Pete Seeger. Like, you know, some people have done some covers of some of that stuff. Billy Bragg and Bruce Springsteen have written some stuff, but there's not much. It's a topic that rarely comes up on – and TV shows have covered it a good deal. Star Trek had an episode about a labor union a couple times. Uh, there's not – and most of the movies, though, tend to be very historical. Um, so, I'm kind of giving you two choices to take it. Either A, if you want to talk about media that you found that does – give good portrayal of labor stuff, or if you want to talk a little bit about why you think it is that we, we see so see so little of it.
1: I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the why we see so little of it, because I can't think of any good portrayals off the top of my head, other than Newsies, which mm. I love. Um, but I do think it's because labor activism, it, it is a community. Like, it is not something where you have one hero, a la Jack Kelly, who comes in and does everything and saves the day. And I think it is much harder to tell stories about community as a whole, like what is your way into those stories? Um, How are you portraying the, the sacrifice of the whole community and standing up like this? How are you balancing all of, you know, as we were saying in the main podcast, you you know, the, the strategic versus um, slightly more violent sometimes, like how are you portraying all of those things? So I think in a, culture that is very into hero's journey stories, which we've talked about in previous episodes, and and we are really in that. Mm -hmm. Um, Finding a way to tell a story that is much more about community and how the community is standing up for itself rather than about one or two special people who are saving the day. I just don't don't know that that's the strengths of a lot of writers. And I do think... Like we, we joked at the beginning about like this conspiracy theory that Disney killed all of the marketing for Newsies and then yanked it out of the theater really early. Um, but I do think that big studios don't love union stories because of literally the organization that we're seeing happening now. They are run by, you know, billionaires who are not friendly to labor. And I think that avoiding telling stories about labor is kind of not necessarily top of mind unless somebody tries to do it. But it's yeah. definitely not their favorite subject.
0: I think it's very true. I think you're right. The, the ones that do kind of get told, either they're about, you know, very big public figures or they're very historical like this because mm-hmm. it's a like, oh, yeah, look back in the day when needed unions. One thing that I also think is a factor, and again, I wonder generationally if this has even changed by the time you were kind of noticing a lot of this stuff, is – and again, I think the, the history of labor unions in this country is a very long and complicated one – and there has been a lot of very public examples of corruption and of problematic behavior on behalf of union leadership, or of, you know, especially, like I said, in the 70s and 80s, when unions became like the the, the blue collar Reagan Democrats, that w- there was a lot of union people involved in that. There's a lot of like, you know, Vietnam, and all, there's all kinds of stuff that happened there. But I think for a while, there was a very negative perception of unions, um, not necessarily on the left, but among like left-leaning liberal types, you know. And I think it was, and with some good reason and some not. And I think, like, like to me, I think the the biggest movie about a union organizer that we've probably had in the last twenty or thirty years was Hoffa, about Jimmy mm-hmm. Hoffa, who was a strike union organizer and was also very involved with the mafia in various ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I think of it, and also like a lot of the other times that, uh, and I should say. The degree to which Hoffa was or was not involved in the mafia and the degree to which it was his own personal corruption versus being threatened, I have no idea because I think the media has told me a lot that it was very – but my understanding is that that stories aren't always accurate. I think that's – that's there's a lot more to that story that we probably don't know. Um, But whether or not that's true – Certainly a lot of the stories of unions that I saw growing up was in movies like The Godfather or Goodfellas or stuff where union corruption was a big part of what the mafia was doing. And that that often, that a lot of often the kind of, you know, real hero stories were about going against the union or going around the union or stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I had not thought about it like that, but that is definitely true. And I think union corruption is an idea that anti-union activists use to try and prevent people from joining unions, which would actually help them. And I think we're now seeing as more groups like Starbucks unions and Amazon unions are organizing themselves, I think we're seeing more pushback against that. As people, as as corporations try and push that line, of they're just going to take your money and be corrupt and pay themselves and won't do anything for you. I think people who are in really miserable working situations with no real choice in the matter are more willing to say, actually, I don't think that's true because it's not like my conditions can get that much worse. Your, you know, union dues are less than a Netflix subscription. And if that can get me health care, then that's super worth it.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And I think that the – we talked about this before because the, the union that I was organizing with in the 90s was uh, mostly uh, uh, SEIU, which was a – it's a service in uh, – I forget exactly what it stands for, but it, it was mostly janitors in office buildings. And one of the problems was, yeah, you get one office building or uh, what kind of one neighborhood of buildings organized – but then you'd go to the next building and there was no way to, like – you had to, like, bring in a speaker or something like that, you know. And I think that's where things like TikTok and Twitter make it a lot easier mm-hmm. for people to see, oh, yeah, the people at that Starbucks, their life is better now because they organized. Why don't we do it too? mm mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll be really curious to see if that changes, um, especially with music. Like, um, I would – I – you know, I – Rage Against the Machine did a cover of a couple of old Union songs, which is awesome. Uh, But I'd love to see more people coming out with like music that is very explicitly pro-labor at a time when that's – and and it may well be that it's happening. And certainly fans, if you're listening, tweet in or text in or uh, anywhere. Send me that because um, like the the piece of media that I first come up with is in – there's a a sci-fi television show that I've talked about a lot that was in the 90s. So again, not really modern – but in my lifetime, at least. Um, uh, Babylon 5. And it was in many ways trying to be the opposite of Star Trek. And it's a wonderful, wonderful show with horrible production values. Um, but Like most 90s um, sci-fi. Exactly. Exactly. And it does some great things with CGI that at the time looked revolutionary and today look hideous. But... Um, one of the things that it's about is about, like, it is a space station in 2020-something, but uh, – in 2200-something, I mean. But there there isn't the, you know, everything is better like it is in Star Trek. And so, at one point, the dock workers on this space station go on strike. And it's a pretty good episode about how a strike would play out. And it – it's one of the ones where the, the benevolent captain figures out a way to settle the strike that kind of screws over the, the power bosses. So it is very much the kind of deus ex machina reaching in to fix it all. Um, and I Teddy know Roosevelt been other...
1: shows up on the space station.
0: Exactly, exactly. And, and I know that there have been other things like that and other stuff. Uh, someone actually pointed out that there's an episode uh, – I made a joke about Fran Drescher – She's the actress who played the nanny, uh, and she is the president of the Screen Actors Guild. So, she's been talking a lot. And so, making its way on TikTok and YouTube, apparently there's an episode of the nanny where like the the guy she's in love with, her boss, I haven't really seen much of the show.
1: Mr. Sheffield.
0: Mr. Sheffield, thank you, uh, wants to take her to this fancy dinner, but the workers at the restaurant are on strike, and she refuses to cross a picket line. So,
1: that nice. was pretty cool.
0: But yeah, I don't know how often that happens, so... Yeah, any um, any last things you want to add on that before we wrap up? Uh,
1: nope. I think I think we have uh, picked my brain clear of anything uh, <laughs> else that I might think about unions or newsies.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this. To our patreons, thank you all so much. Your help what help makes this all possible. And on behalf of both of us, we have spoken.